This episode of the Fit Cookie Nutrition Podcast is brought to you by Inside Tracker. To get 20% off your Inside Tracker purchase, visit the link in the show notes or insidetracker.com slash fitcookie. Hello, my friends. My name is Holly Samuel. I am a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer. I am also a master of health education with a focus in eating disorders, and I'm your podcast host today. We are continuing the micronutrient series here on the Fit Cookie Podcast, where I basically take a deep dive um, into a lot of different micronutrients, which are things like vitamins and minerals that runners tend to have problems with or just need more of in general or have different needs than the general sedentary population. Um, and as someone who works with hundreds of runners and has seen a lot of different like lab work, blood values, and common issues that a lot of people struggle with as runners, I really wanted to just put this information out there so that if you get your blood work done or if you choose to do like a test with Inside Tracker or if you're talking to your doctor and you're experiencing some symptoms, you can be a better advocate for yourself with this knowledge and information. Again, I am a registered dietitian, but unless you're one of my clients, I am not necessarily your registered dietitian. So please do make sure that you consult with your healthcare team prior to, you know, really implementing this information which I'm sure you guys all know, because we talk a lot about testing and not guessing when it comes to our health and our blood work so that we're not just fumbling blindly through life, taking supplements without cause. So let's dive into this episode where we are going to really take a deep dive on everyone's favorite micronutrient who they seem to struggle with, which is iron. Um, And while I originally, initially I had good intentions, guys. I wanted to keep these podcast episodes on the shorter side. Um, I really can make no promises with iron. I've got about four pages of notes, um, pages and pages of resources and references. So um, I really want to give you as much information as possible in a way that's hopefully easy to understand and broken down super well. So between iron and vitamin D, those are probably going to be the longest episodes. Um, And then we don't have quite as much to say about some of the other micronutrients because, well, they're not as complicated. So let's dive into the iron episode. All right, you guys know how these episodes work. So we're going to talk about kind of what iron is, what it does and its main functions, how much we're supposed to have per day, what are some good food sources, what supplementation looks like and when you need it, what deficiency or over supplementation looks like, um, who's at risk for iron deficiency, and essentially some key takeaways at the end. So if you get overwhelmed at all by information, wait till the end. We're going to bring it all back together. So what is iron? Iron is a mineral. So we've talked um, about a couple different things so far in this series, like vitamins, but um, iron is not a vitamin. It is actually an essential mineral. Um, so it kind of fits in the category of like, Uh, zinc and magnesium um, and some other things that we'll talk about later, but it is technically still a micronutrient, but it's a mineral. So what does iron do? Oh boy. Okay. So it is involved in a lot of different processes throughout the body, um, which is why things go hairy when we don't get enough of it. Um, But primarily iron is involved in red blood cell formation, kind of like vitamin B12, which I know we already talked about. It's also involved in um, like our immune function and a lot of other things, but essentially um, it's involved in red blood cell formation and red blood cell health. And red blood cells do help 
oxygenate our body. It delivers oxygen throughout the body, which, you know, is pretty important. Iron is an essential component of a protein called hemoglobin that's found in red blood cells that transfers oxygen to the lungs and tissues throughout the body. So if you've had struggles with iron or if you've just had any like labs drawn ever, you've probably had your hemoglobin checked before, um, which is very common. Most of the iron in our bodies, which it's estimated that humans on average have about three to four milligrams of elemental iron on us at all times, is in hemoglobin throughout the body. Um, And anything remaining is in the form of ferritin, um, which is in our liver, spleen, bone marrow, or in myoglobin, which is another oxygen transporter in our muscles. So basically, we've got iron throughout the body attached to hemoglobin in our blood, but then it's in some of these other places as well where it gets stored, um, which is what ferritin is, is iron storage. You're going to hear me talk a lot about ferritin. We tend to lose iron throughout the day without even trying. Um, When we go to the bathroom in our urine or feces, also in the GI tract in general, we're going to lose a little bit of iron um, through our GI tract. Um, This can be even more of an issue in people who do have like chronic GI issues like IBS, IBD, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, um, you know, GI cancers. If you're missing part of your GI tract, if you've had surgery, etc. Because we tend to have blood loss in the GI tract, which is totally normal. But these populations have more blood loss, potentially, in the GI tract. And therefore, since iron is in our red blood cells, we lose more iron that way. This can also be a double edged sword. Because if you have GI issues, and you lose more iron, and you therefore maybe need to eat or take iron, Iron is also very hard on the GI system. It's not often tolerated super well. So if this resonates, I have some suggestions for you later in this episode. We also lose iron in our skin, again, without even trying, um, in our sweat. So runners, we tend to sweat a little bit more than the average Joe. And if you're a heavy sweater, you may lose a bit more iron than a non-heavy sweater. But Really, most of our iron is lost um, through blood loss. So females, um, our monthly, you know, period menstruation, um, that can really be a big source of iron loss for us if you are someone who is a menstruator. Um, Or if you have like heavier periods, that might be even more cause for concern. Um, Or if you like, you know, have any kind of internal bleeding or have any trauma, like if you had an accident um, and you had blood loss. Another way we can lose iron. So, thinking of that, um, we lose iron every day without trying. So, we do need to take in, you know, um, a certain amount every single day. So, you've heard me talk about the recommended daily amount or the RDA for other nutrients. Um, The RDA for iron is 18 milligrams per day in premenopausal women who are not pregnant or breastfeeding. It is eight milligrams per day in men and postmenopausal women. And this is for everyone over 19. I'm not going to get into pediatric recommendations because I don't think any kids are listening to this show. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, though. 27 milligrams of iron per day is the RDA for pregnant women. And 10 milligrams of iron per day is the RDA for lactating women. So females, we need the most iron compared to our male counterparts. If you are pregnant, um, you know, you're going to need even more. If you're lactating, you might need a little bit less um, than someone who is just a female not pregnant. So runners, you might guess, need even more iron. Um, And we'll talk about why in a second. But essentially, I want you to also know 
that kind of back to iron's key function that a protein um, or hormone rather called hepcidin regulates iron absorption and distribution and transport via a protein called transferrin throughout the body. So hepcidin is a hormone that basically gets to say where the iron goes throughout the body. Um, And when we supplement with iron, um, you know, that can actually cause our hepcidin hormone production to increase, which in turn blocks any iron absorption. So this is why um, if you are an iron deficiency veteran who's been trying to improve their iron status, or it's just really felt like a moving target throughout your whole life, this is why iron status and iron supplementation is like a dance um, or a fine art, if you will. Um, Because if we basically give ourselves too much and that too much is relative and can pretty much change like the wind at any time, that little hepcidin hormone is going to increase its production and then it's going to block the iron that we're trying to take to fix our problems. Um, so my message here is if you're frustrated, you can blame hepcidin um, and I'll give you some tips to help figure it out because I know this can be very frustrating for a lot of people. Okay, so we've talked about the RDAs and how much we need to be getting of iron in a day. And we understand a little bit, you know, what it does throughout the body and maybe some challenges that may come from taking too much iron at once. But let's talk about like where to get iron in our diet. Um, So basically, there's two types of iron in food. There are heme and non-heme types of iron. You might have heard of these before. Heme types of iron are absorbed at 14 to 18% bioavailability. Um, So that's kind of the the best absorbable um, or most absorbable form of iron. And heme is found in animal products. So just to kind of put this into context for you, the richest in iron animal products like oysters or beef contain um, about eight milligrams of iron and three ounces of oysters or about three to five milligrams in three ounces of different cuts of beef. So we're still talking about like not that much (laughs) iron in foods that we believe to be the highest in iron. And even only a percentage of that iron is bioavailable. Um, So you're kind of, I'm building a case here for why iron can be a problem, even in normal people, let alone people who run. And we'll talk about why in a minute. Non-heme rich iron food um, is primarily plant products. And this is not absorbed as well. It's only 5 to 12% bioavailable. Bio um, so things like beans, lentils, blackstrap, molasses, cocoa, um, or dark chocolate, rather, whole grains, leafy greens, nuts and seeds. Um, these are all you know plant-based sources of food that contain non-heme rich iron. And to put this into context, the highest content of Um, plant-based non-heme iron is about a cup of white beans, which has eight milligrams, or about half a cup of cooked spinach, which has about three milligrams. Um, Tofu is also rich in iron, but again, this is like five to 12% bioavailable, so not absorbed as well. So you can see why if we are a plant-based athlete, it's possible to get iron through our diet, but it's very challenging to meet our needs because you would have to basically go into every single meal or snack with the intention of getting as much iron as possible. And only five to 12% of it is going to be bioavailable. And there's a lot of other complexity here that we'll get into that blocks absorption. (laughs) So um, this can be complicated. And 
non-heme rich iron sources from plants um, can be improved by eating them with foods or supplements that contain vitamin C. Um, so for example, if you were to have like a spinach salad with white beans on it, that would be, you know, a good 12 or so milligrams of iron just in that. Um, if you were to add like citrus fruit or some lemon juice or some bell peppers or carrots, other foods that contain vitamin C like those, that would help you absorb a little bit more of the iron in those foods. So isn't nutrition cool? So synergistic. Um, same thing. If you did like a veggie chili with, you know, chickpeas and black beans, um, and maybe you added like tomatoes and bell peppers to that, those would be some vitamin C rich sources to help with the iron absorption in your non-heme plant source. So when we talk about iron deficiency, so to come up with some symptoms for you first, and again, these are going to probably be vague and appear in a lot of these episodes because being tired can happen for a lot of reasons. Who would have thought? But if we have low energy, um, runners in particular, like if you just feel like you're hitting the wall on a lot of your runs and things that used to not be as hard not that long ago are feeling hard. Um, if your legs feel just very heavy or dead, or I know something that happened for me was that like I started like a 18 mile run marathon training a few years ago. And I remember at mile four being like, man, I feel like I already ran like 15 miles. Like, and yesterday was a rest day. So like, I'm not overtrained. Like, I'm just not sure why I feel so dead. And it just kind of progressively inched a little bit worse. Um, turns out I had a pretty low ferritin, um, which I'll talk about. But so, um, if you're feeling just like heavy legs, training is hard. If you're short of breath in general, like going up the stairs, um, or just going for walks, you know, or if you're talking really long on a podcast and you get short of breath, <laughs> Hey, um, you know, if you have menstrual changes, um, some women with iron deficiency tend to notice more clotting, um, in their cycles or just more cramping, um, in general, I was one of those people. Um, if you notice changes in like your gut or your digestion or, um, your bowel movements, if you're noticing poor immune function, or if you just in general are feeling like, man, the wind really feels like it left my sails. <laughs> um, those can all be signs that you are deficient in iron or maybe even have anemia. Um, so when we talk about, you know, you got the symptoms, what do I do now? Um, you need to test. <laughs> so ferritin, which is our iron storage, is the most efficient and cost-effective way to diagnose and test for an iron deficiency. And yet, when you go to your doctor, nine times out of 10, hemoglobin and hemocrita are going to be the ones that are pulled to test. They're the most commonly used, even though they are neither sensitive nor specific in that if you have a B12 deficiency, it may affect your hemoglobin. But if you have an iron deficiency, it may also affect your hemoglobin. So how do we know which one unless you test all of those? Um, if you get iron tested, its own lab, that can also not be helpful. <laughs> so my main takeaway here is if you are going to your doctor, um, if you you know are kind of working with a healthcare provider to diagnose or just test around and see where you're at, test ferritin. I'm going to say it three times. Ferritin, ferritin, ferritin is what we need to test. It is going to be a way essentially to correct a problem potentially before it's a big problem. So if our stores are ferritin, 
of iron are starting to run low, um, it's not necessarily going to show up in your hemoglobin, in your free iron, in your bloodstream, those other tests that tend to be run, but you might start to experience symptoms. Um, So if we're testing the stores, we might catch a problem before it's a really big problem. We may catch a problem while it's an iron deficiency or just an iron getting lower (laughs) in storage before it's an iron deficiency anemia. So when we get ferritin tested, um, if it is below 30, um, that can depict that you have an iron deficiency. If it is below 10, that will depict that you have an iron deficiency anemia. Ideal for endurance athletes is over 40 um, for most people and over 50 if you are at altitude. When we are at altitude, one of the reasons we get even more like short of breath because, you know, we got that skinny air, there's not as much oxygen up high is that our body's working really hard to use the oxygen we do have available and is creating more blood volume to transport it. Um, So in order to do that, we need more iron in our diet to create more red blood cells. So if you're going on a trip um, and you have an iron deficiency, it's going to be worse on that trip at altitude. Um, If you live at altitude, you may develop an iron deficiency if you don't change anything about your diet or your supplementation. Please also know that ferritin um, can be affected by chronic inflammation or if you have an infection or if you're sick. So if you do go to get your blood tested and your ferritin is like higher, um, you know, or it could be falsely elevated or just falsely higher than it would be normally, even if it's normal, um, if you are chronically inflamed or have an infection. But if you're like, I still feel like I have an iron deficiency, make sure you're getting it tested when you're not chronically inflamed (laughs) um, or having an infection because it can be affected by that. So knowing this, if you're like, gee, I really want to get my ferritin tested, but I don't want to make a doctor's appointment. Let's go into our inside tracker ad because I have an option for you um, that really honestly puts the power in your own hands and is going to give you a lot of excellent tools to use. Whether you run, ride, hike, or swim, you understand what it means to push harder, reach farther, and go the extra mile. This relentless drive runs in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build endurance, boost energy, and optimize your health for the long haul, which is what we're all about here. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and also where you're not especially when it comes to between different training cycles and in different stages of your life. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your unique body. And when you connect Inside Tracker with your Fitbit or your Garmin, you can also unlock real-time recovery pro tips after you complete your workout. Just kind of like having your own coach in your pocket. Pretty cool. For a limited time, Fit Cookie Nutrition podcast subscribers can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash fit cookie to get 20% off. And you guys, this is a really cool opportunity for you to potentially check your blood so that if you are learning about this micronutrient series within this podcast episode, You can just test your blood and see where you're at and then take some of these recommendations that Inside Tracker provides to heart to get you optimized. Now let's get back to the episode. So every plan at Inside Tracker, their Essentials plan, their Shalane plan, and then their super high tier ultimate plan 
all of them have ferritin um, and an iron panel. <laughs> so um, it's something that, again, is super common in endurance athletes, which is why all of their plans have the option to test these things. Um, I really recommend for your first test, if you are like, I really just want to get a complete picture, get the ultimate plan splurge. Um, if you absolutely can't do that, go for the Shalane plan, which is the next line down, because it will test B12 and ferritin so that if you do have an anemia, we can kind of see which one it's coming from. Um, but then the essentials plan um, also has ferritin. So if you are just trying to check on your like iron labs in the future to manage and stay up to date with them, that can be a really good option. So in terms of like addressing this, if you, you know, get your labs tested and oh shoot, you've got, you know, a low ferritin um, or maybe even other labs that are out of whack as well, which I'm not going to get into here because again, nutrition is very synergistic. So is your blood work. If your ferritin comes back low, your iron could come back high, your hemoglobin could come back totally normal or it could come back low. Um, your hemocritic could come back totally normal or it could come back high. Um, and you're going to like be seeing all of these things and be like, I'm confused because it says my iron's high. So do I have an iron deficiency? But my ferritin's low, so I'm confused. Just look at ferritin. If your ferritin is low, there's a problem. <laughs> um, if your ferritin is high, that can also happen for a couple of reasons too that we'll talk about. But Let's focus first on if it's low. So ways to treat this. If you um, come back with a low ferritin and you do have some of those symptoms we discussed um, and know that too, like I see so many people, um, particularly women who are just used to feeling tired all the time. So they think I'm just tired because I have kids or because I'm working or because, you know, I'm training for a marathon and they're used to it. Um, and then they get their labs back and they're like, oh, there's something wrong. I have no oxygen in my blood, <laughs> you know? Um, so know that too, like anything you're feeling is valid and it may not have to be this way. <laughs> um, so that's my two cents there. Take care of you, boo. But let's address the root cause of why your ferritin's low. Um, so for runners, runners can be at an increased risk for developing an iron deficiency because when our foot strike, when our foot hits the ground, we hemolyze or break apart our blood cells um, at a more rapid rate than the average Joe. So red blood cells have a lifespan that's pretty short in every person. But as runners, we're basically shortening that lifespan because we just destroy them whenever our foot hits the ground on a run every day. So we need more materials to create more red blood cells more frequently than the average person, which is why we can run out of iron a lot faster than the average person if we're not eating more than the recommended daily amount for people. Um, you can also be at an increased risk, women, if you have really heavy periods. And if you have really heavy periods, I would want to treat the root cause of that because that's not normal. Um, so looking at the root cause of why your ferritin is low is helpful. If you're like, yeah, I'm a runner. I don't think I'm overtraining. I've been supplementing, you know, yada, yada, yada. And I still have these weird symptoms. Um, again, all, always a blanket statement. Talk to your doctor. Like I said, there can be other reasons why our iron's low. It can mean that there's blood loss happening somewhere else, not to be scary, but like internally, you know, if you are having gut issues and you're losing more blood, um, we can lose more iron that way. So it's just good to know why it's happening. Um, for my population, I usually see it happening because we aren't eating enough iron 
to begin with, and we're runners, and maybe we're menstruating too. <laughs> so um, those are the most common root causes I see. So if we can get you to eat enough in general, and then eat enough iron-rich foods, not you know restrict yourself, which is another reason why restricting ourselves is going to restrict all these micronutrients that are going to cause problems when we're deficient in them. So if we're eating enough, we're fueling well, we're hydrating really well, we're taking electrolytes on our runs, we're recovering really well, we have regular healthy periods, we're not missing a period, but we're also not experiencing heavy, painful ones. Um, you know, and then our iron's still low, you know, it could just be the foot strike thing, um, or there could be something else. So that's my two cents on let's at least think about why this is happening. So we could use food, those iron-rich sources of food, primarily heme-rich sources from animal products, being really, really diligent about how we're going to incorporate those every single day. Um, if you are plant-based, being extra, extra diligent about your plant-based options, but also supplements. <laughs> um, basically, if your ferritin, um, you know, is, is tanking, if it's kind of like... Um, you know, below that, that 30 or 40 mark, you know, we're probably going to be looking at supplements. If it's on the lower end of optimize, like if it's in the 40s um, and we're starting to marathon train, you know, we might um, just look at food and intentionality around that. But if you hate all foods that contain high sources of iron or you don't eat them for personal reasons, then we may consider a supplement. Um, if you are like below 10, um, your ferritin's below 10, you have iron deficiency anemia. We absolutely need to, you know, rope your doctor into this, make sure that we're addressing that because you're probably going to be on a more strict iron supplementation protocol and you may even need iron infusions. So another reason why I like to test ferritin, because like, let's avoid needing iron infusions. Let's catch it before it's empty. <laughs> um, when we look at supplements, not going to get too into this because it has to be personalized, um, especially with the hepcidin thing that I mentioned, that hormone that is super um, moody. And if we take just even a little bit too much iron at once, it's going to make sure that we don't absorb it at all. Um, it needs to be individualized. So like I said, um, iron is often a journey. If you are deficient some people can fix it in six weeks and they feel great. Uh, most people... Um, really are trying to aim at a moving target. So in terms of iron types for supplements, um, these are the ones that I see the most and use the most often. Um, iron sulfate is the most common or ferrous sulfate. If you see the term ferrous, like F-E-R-R-O-U-S, that means iron. Um, but ferrous sulfate is the most common um, and it's cheapest and it's very readily available. But it may also be the hardest on our gut um, to tolerate. It can cause nausea, constipation, um, you know, just not having a good time. It can make you feel pretty ill if you don't tolerate it well. Um, so that's one that a lot of doctors like to recommend. I like to use that one, but if you have had a bad experience with iron in the past, I will go right to iron bisglycinate, um, which tends to be a bit better tolerated. It's easier on the GI tract. Um, and then there's also ferrous fumarate or iron fumarate, um, which is an elemental iron. Um, and I used this when I worked with my populations who had gastric bypass surgery or just GI surgeries in general. Um, it tended to be tolerated and absorbed the best because if you have had like weight loss surgery, you do need lifelong vitamin supplementation for malabsorption caused on purpose by the surgery. Um, and you may become iron deficient. You might be at a, like an increased 
risk for that. So those are the three most common that I see. There's also other types of supplements, but I'm just going to stick to those three. So in terms of like dosing, um, iron bisglycinate can be anywhere from like 10 to 30, even 45 milligrams um, per dose. And then a ferrous sulfate can be anywhere from like 10 to 65 or even 325, depending on um, if we're talking about elemental iron or ferrous sulfate. Sorry to get into the weeds there. But my point here is there's really a wide range of doses. Um, and you may be taking the highest dose three times per day if you're really in the tank in terms of iron deficiency anemia. Or you might just be taking like 10 milligrams a day of iron bisglycinate and it's like in a prenatal vitamin or something. Um, so it really does depend. So that's why this has to be individualized. But now let's get into like some strategies around taking your iron because again, this is a bit of a dance. So when it comes to taking your iron supplements, I already talked about like food-based sources and how taking things with vitamin C can be helpful. Well, your supplements are the same way. So if you do take an iron supplement, taking it with either a vitamin C supplement um, or a vitamin C containing like drink or food, like an applesauce pouch or some orange juice um, can actually help improve absorption. Um, and now this is going to be a laundry list. So I just want you to bear with me because I'm going to, again, tie it back together at the end. But um, taking iron at least two to three hours away. So not taking it with calcium, magnesium, zinc, uh, turmeric, um, levothyroxine, levodopa, proton pump inhibitors, or antacids like Tums, um, is important because they all block the absorption of iron, including food in general. Taking iron on an empty stomach, so at least 30 minutes to an hour before you're about to eat something, or two hours to three hours after you eat something, is another way to improve absorption. You may also consider taking it right after exercise. Um, there's some research to kind of show that that improves absorption, although taking it right before exercise probably won't do you any favors. You don't want to take it with coffee or tea, which can also block absorption. And there is some research to show that taking iron with a probiotic, in particular a probiotic um, that contains the strains Lactobacillus plantarum, bifidobacteriae, or bifidobacteria, um, per the research study by Bilik et al., um, that might actually help improve absorption in your gut. So there's a lot of uh, asterisks here. So with taking iron, um, you know, again, there's, it takes me a long time sometimes to get my clients to take a supplement consistently at all. <laughs> um, so if any of this is overwhelming and you're like, well, I'm just not even going to take it, it might be better for you to take it consistently and have it not be in ideal circumstances um, than to just avoid taking it at all. Because if you avoid taking it at all, well, you're not doing yourself any favors. Um, but know that, again, working with a professional can be the most helpful to customize this to you um, because there's also other tricks like taking it every other day, taking it at night versus taking it in the morning um, and, and so on and so forth, taking different doses at different times, taking different types of iron at different times that can help you. So what I do with my clients is we get the, you know, lab results back and then, you know, or any information from their doctor. And then we kind of just start to chip away at it. I start with the basics, you know, the basic dose that I know to be, you know, accurate and the basic recommendations around taking it. Um, we get our labs checked again in two to three months. If 
things are improving, great. Don't fix it. It's not broken. Keep doing that. If things have not improved at all or they've gotten worse, then we need to reevaluate. And there's a lot of um, different tools we can use (laughs) to do that. So know that it's a process. So just get started if this is you. So now to kind of summarize who's at risk. Um, We talked about runners being at risk and why with that foot strike and just increased need for blood volume. Athletes in general, because they're also beating themselves up and needing to create more red blood cells for more blood volume. Pregnant women, infants and young children, um, heavy menstruators who have heavy periods. Um, If you donate blood, I've definitely worked with clients who have donated blood and then started maybe their running journey and all of a sudden their iron and ferritin are just totally, totally in the tank. Um, So if you do donate blood regularly, first of all, thank you. Um, And second of all, know that when they test your hemoglobin right before you're about to donate blood, um, you can very much have a normal hemoglobin according to their standards and be very iron deficient. So check your ferritin um, in between blood donations to make sure you're not emptying out the tank without really knowing about it. Um, People with chronic conditions like cancer or GI issues like um, Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, IBS, if you have internal bleeding, if you've had gastric bypass surgery or any gut surgery, if you've had physical trauma or gotten into an accident and lost blood, and if you are at altitude, um, again, any of these can put you at risk. So just to kind of make you feel um, like there has some context to this, about 20 to 50% um, of endurance athletes are estimated to have low ferritin. Um, that's a pretty big range, but it's a lot of people. And this is very consistent with what I see in practice. About 25% of my clients who have gotten their blood work done with my inside tracker panel that I can see um, the data that's taken for me on my portal are um, low or non-optimized in iron. Um, so it's a quarter of them. Of course, that's skewed a little bit because we do improve it together and that's accounted for in the results. So honestly, it's probably more when we originally start working together. Some people might be at risk for elevated iron, um, such as if you have the genetic condition called hematomacrosis, which can be caused from having not enough of that hormone called hepcidin, um, which basically means there's nothing regulating the iron you eat and it all gets stored immediately. And then you run into high iron, which can actually have a lot of the same symptoms as low iron. So important to get your blood tested. And again, if you come back with blood work from inside tracker in particular, and you have high iron, but low ferritin, you do not probably have hematomacrosis. You probably have iron deficiency. Um, so again, there's nuance to blood work, get someone to interpret it for you. Who's familiar with looking at athletic blood work, um, if you can. And I say that because I gave my blood work to my primary care physician three years ago, and that's exactly what happened. And she told me to stop my iron supplements, and then I developed an iron deficiency anemia. Um, So make sure you're giving it to someone who is familiar with endurance athlete nutrition and who is used to looking at ferritin lab values. If you are an elderly person, um, or if you're just a man or someone who has gone through menopause, you may also be at an increased risk for having too much iron because you're not having as much blood loss. Um, But again, just test your blood. That'll be helpful. So deep breaths. What to do? Let's summarize this all up and tie it in a bow for you guys because you're probably thinking, what the heck? So first things first, 
just go get your blood work tested, test your ferritin levels, test your B12 levels too, just to rule out other causes of some of these same symptoms. If you get your blood work back and it is below 40, um, consider increasing your dietary intake of iron um, using those foods that we suggested. Um, I'm also going to put up a blog post um, about iron on my blog, which is on fitcookienutrition.com. Um, so you can visit that too for some like recipe ideas. If you get your ferritin back and it's below 30, you're probably going to want to work with a professional to introduce supplementation um, or to monitor and modify the supplementation you're maybe already doing. If you get your ferritin back and it's below 10, big red flags, um, you're probably going to need to, I'm sorry, you're probably going to need to like decrease your exercise. You're probably going to want to pull back on your training um, so that you're not running yourself into the well. And you're also probably going to want to work with a professional to figure out supplementation. And you may need iron infusions if you do have an anemia that won't budge with supplementation, or if you really just don't tolerate your iron supplements. Like if your gut is a wreck and it's not absorbing it, you may be someone who benefits from short-term iron infusions. I do not recommend um, doing this long-term because long-term iron infusions should not be used if possible because it can be associated with other problems like increased potential correlation with dementia and other things long-term. So we don't want to be like relying on iron infusions. I know vitamin IVs are a big thing right now. Um, I really do not recommend those. Uh, They're just not necessary. Um, If we have a gut that works, we really should use it. Otherwise, it's going to stop working. Know that iron supplementation can take six to 24 weeks to really start correcting a deficiency or an anemia. But again, like I said before, iron is a journey um, and it's probably going to be a moving target for you. And if you have had any kind of deficiency in the past or anemia, you just need to just constantly be monitoring it um, because you're at an increased risk for having that happen again. I recommend checking your ferritin in particular every three months or so. Um, But when you're doing this, again, I don't ever want someone to be like, oh my gosh, my marathon is in two weeks and I'm feeling all these things. So I'm going to go get a blood test and see what my ferritin's doing. Um, If you have a low ferritin and then you go get a blood test and they take more blood (laughs) from you, um, that may not be the best thing uh, because it probably make your situation a little bit worse. So Try to do it six weeks before a goal race. That way your red blood cells will have some time to replenish themselves. Um, And if you just had a goal race, off season is a great time to work on this because your body's probably going to be less stressed and therefore you're probably going to absorb more of your iron. But maybe wait two to three weeks post-race, especially if it was a marathon or like a long distance triathlon to check your stores because then that chronic inflammation should go down and your ferritin won't be falsely affected by that. So those are my tips, guys. Um, If this is overwhelming, just follow that checklist. Start with testing your own blood because that's how you'll know what to do next. Um, And when in doubt, do work with a sports dietitian. That's what we're here for. So if you get your inside tracker blood tests done, um, you will get actually a lot of information and recommendations from the inside tracker, um, like report that comes with your blood work. But if you do have extra questions, feel free to reach out to me and I can maybe provide you with some resources or we can talk about working together. So hopefully this was helpful, you guys. Hopefully it inspired you to get to the root cause of your symptoms if you're experiencing them. Hopefully you learned 
a thing or two about iron. I actually did in my, um, you know, process of researching information to put this all together for you. So hopefully you learned something too. But until next time, make sure you give the podcast a five-star rating and review. If you're enjoying these episodes, I would really, really, really appreciate it. And happy running. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey. 